Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Good morning. My name is Avery, and today's scripture passage is from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Every year during Advent, our church adopts the tradition of the Advent wreath, lighting one candle each Sunday as we count down to Christmas. The continuous lighting of candles on the wreath throughout Advent signifies the increase of light pouring into the world as Christ's arrival draws near. Lighting the candles one by one over the four weeks symbolizes the posture of anticipation we adopt in this season. The flame of each candle pushes back the darkness, and by Christmas Day, the fully illuminated wreath radiates a brightness to serve as a reminder that the light of the world came to defeat darkness forever and dwell with his people. The third candle of Advent symbolizes joy and reminds us that Christ himself is our joy. Let's light this candle now and remember that Christ brings joy to the world. No, I'm not going to play the keyboard this morning. So it's good to see everybody this morning. Everybody doing okay? Excited about Advent, about the coming of Christmas, about what is in front of us? As I was, did somebody give me a woo woo? <laughs> Thank you, Tori. As, as I was thinking, as we were singing, somebody, whoever picked the music, I don't know if it's Tori or whoever, um, spot on, could not have been better. Um, I was beginning to wonder if I was going to be able to say anything because it was so powerful what we were singing about or what it is that we're going to be talking about this morning. And, you know, as we've gone through the, the beginning of the Advent season, Parker has led us through the teaching on hope and peace. Today we're going to talk about joy, and next week we're going to talk about love. It is an exciting time. It's easy to get caught up in everything, and it's right for us to stop and think about each one of these and contemplate them about hope being a time of waiting, not for uncertainty, but in expectation of what we know 
to becoming what we know the reality is today. And we can live in that hope every single day. It's such a joy to know that we don't have to wonder. And then the, the teaching last week on uh, peace. And the idea of peace being completeness, how that we are completed in God, how Jesus reconciled us to himself through the uh, sacrifice on the cross and that we were lost, we were broken, and now we are healed, we are restored to him. And not only to him, but also to have the ability to be restored to one another. You know, I was, I was thinking about a stack of china plates and there are eight plates you can serve and you can, they, they were created to serve people. And they're wonderful and they stack and they fit together and they work together and they're wonderful. But if somebody takes that stack and drops it on the floor, you end up with just a pile of pieces and it's all broken and it's useless and it's not good for anything. And Jesus came into the world of brokenness and worthlessness and he healed us so that we can be restored to him and we can be restored and have the ability to have a relationship with each other. And that's the peace that we get to enjoy, that we get to live in. And I, 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 I know you guys, most of you guys, we don't take that for granted. And that, that is what is so sweet about our family here at AGC and there are families meeting right now all over Ankeny and all over the state of Iowa and all over the world where brothers and sisters who have been healed by the saving work of Jesus are meeting to worship him. It's a wonderful thing. And I love that we take the time during Advent to stop and just focus on these. And today we're going to talk about joy and it's going to be it's going to be awesome that you may learn a thing or two that maybe you hadn't thought about before. But more than anything, I want us to walk out today connected with Jesus in a new and a fresh way. That can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just going to take a minute to pray for us before we get started and ask that God would do that. Lord, you are an awesome God, more awesome than we can begin to conceive of. And what you have done for us is, uh, is beyond words. And so we sit here in, in humility this morning, Lord, in awe of who you are. We stand here, sit here to worship you. We desire to more closely live with you. I pray that your spirit this morning as we open your word, as, as we see what you have to say, I pray that your spirit for each individual in this room this morning, Lord, I pray that your spirit would be working, that you would be speaking, that you would be wooing, that as we walk out of here today, we would all feel refreshed, renewed, and energized by our connection with you through the Spirit. May we really, really enjoy the joy of our salvation. I pray that you would make that happen. In Jesus' name, amen.
So like I said, today we're going to talk about joy. And I think that joy, true biblical joy, I think is one of the most misunderstood uh, teachings that we hear about. People teach it, I think, wrongly a lot. And because of that, I think a lot of people are really hurt or discouraged or devastated by the teaching. Instead of being encouraged or stirred up, they walk out feeling defeated and shamed. Let me just say, if that's the response of a sermon on joy, I think that you're teaching it wrongly, okay? The teaching on joy should be one that is encouraging for us. And yet, they use passages like Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, where it says, Do not grieve, because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And they look at that and they say, see, you shouldn't be grieving. You shouldn't be sad. You shouldn't be down. You should be, you should be happy. You should be living in the joy of the Lord. They use it as a club to beat you up when you're not just giddy all the time. And that's to take that out of context and wrongly use that. There's a, one of the theologians that I read this, getting ready for this said, uh, I look at joy as an act of resistance against despair and its forces. And as I read that, I thought, well, yeah, that, that seems pretty good, except as I read it more, I got to thinking, it seems like what he's saying is, if I can just gin up enough happiness, I can war against these other forces, and that will give me joy as if it's something that I'm going to gin up, something that I'm going to create. And I need to make myself happy. But the act of manufactured happiness, uh, for whatever purpose, is not true biblical joy. It's, it's not a weapon of war. It's not something that you create. I think of a guy named Joseph Grimaldi. I don't know. If anybody's ever heard of him, probably not, because his claim to fame is that he's the father of the modern clown, okay? And Joseph Grimaldi lived in the 1800s, and he was wildly famous. Everybody wanted to come to his shows because he was just fantastic. And when the curtain went up, he just, he wowed the crowd. Everybody was rolling in laughter. It was a great time, and everyone went home happy and talking about everything that had gone on, but when the curtain closed, he went back to his sad, lonely life. He was not a happy man, but he ginned it up for the room, and he created the illusion of this happiness and this joy, and sometimes I think as Christians, that's what we think we're supposed to do, is I'm a Christian, so I've got to be happy, so I've got to make it look like I'm happy. It's almost like um, Instagram Christianity, if you will. You know, Instagram is largely a place where people go and they post a life that they wish that they had. And when we come into church, we dress a certain way and we act a certain way and we want to be perceived in a certain way and we're ginning up something um, that isn't necessarily true. And when we do that, it is terribly discouraging. And you know what happens is Satan gets in your ear and says, you're a fraud. This is not real. God does not love you. 
and it produces the exact opposite of what we had hoped for. So then which is it? Am I supposed to be happy? Am I okay to be sad? Well, let's look at the, the one person that we should be looking at. In Isaiah 53, 3, it says of Jesus, he says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. That's a pretty rotten life, would you say? To be someone that everyone turned away from and had no value in the eyes of people. And yet Jesus was the embodiment of joy. Okay, so now I'm totally confused. I don't have any idea where we're going with this, right? So there's, there's happiness, there's this self-effort, there's this sadness, there's all of this stuff going on. I thought about getting up this morning just saying, yeah, we're going to talk about joy this morning. It's complicated. I've got to go. Because it is. It's not a simple, easy teaching where we just go one, two, three, there you've got it, let's go. All right? So walk with me today. We're going to look at three different things. We're going to define what joy, biblical joy is. We're going to find biblical joy. And we're going to value biblical joy. So, as we did with hope and peace, we're going to seek to define what joy is. I was listening to John Piper um, because I don't know if you know John Piper, but he's a fairly emotive guy, very emotional guy, and incredibly smart. And I thought, well, if I'm studying about joy, he would probably be a good guy to go to because, you know, he's in touch with that. And, um, his, his definition, um, or what he said in defining joy, was that words don't have intrinsic meaning of themselves. He says, we ascribe meaning to words by the way that we use them. But the word itself doesn't have any intrinsic meaning. You know, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was famous for making up new words. I don't know if you knew that, but... In all of his writings, he's making up words to describe these theological things that are going on, and people are you know, trying to figure out what he, what he meant. He was mashing things together. There's, there's one word that he used, uh, and I won't pronounce it, it doesn't matter, but it, it's translated to stir up. And he had taken three different concepts. One was each, which means each person, and then living creature, a person, and then fiery, he mashed that all together and somehow in the context of what he was writing, it was called stirred up. So he was just making up a word to describe what he was trying to say. That's the way we use language. I, I love reading Tim Keller too because Tim Keller had an incredible vocabulary. And it's, it's rare that I listen to a podcast or a sermon or something with Tim Keller that I don't hear a word that I didn't know before. And I was listening to him a couple weeks ago, and he came up with a word, uh, circumlocution. And I thought, well, there's a $10 word for you. And, and basically what it means is to use obscure words and a lot of them to seek to confuse and hide the truth and, and mislead people. 
words put together to mean something. Our culture is always adding words. Now, I want to I want to play a little game here. I'm going to I'm going to say some words. There were new words added to the dictionary. If you think you know what that word means, just put your hand up. I don't want you to say anything. I'm just curious if you think you know what these words are. The first one is jort, J-O-R-T. Somebody knows what, okay, a couple of you think it's, it's an easy one. It's been around for a while. It is the combination of jeans and shorts, okay? That's, that's an easy one. The next one is grammable. Grammable, does anybody know? Okay, there we go. Grammable, worthy of posting on Instagram, okay? The third one is for gamers. I don't know if we have any gamers in the room, but the word nerf. Now, we're not talking about nerf balls or nerf guns or anything like that, but in gaming, if you nerf something or someone, it's to reduce the effectiveness of a character, an attribute, or a weapon. There you go. I have connected with the gaming crowd this morning. We can finish right here. And then the last one is a word that we use in our home all the time, but it's because we're of a generation, and it is MacGyver. Does anybody know what MacGyver? Okay, there we go. Thank you. When you MacGyver something, it, 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 it refers back to a 1980s TV show of the same name. This guy would go and he would fix random things. He would create a nuclear submarine out of a bubblegum wrapper and a you know, paperclip or something. He MacGyvered and made it work just with what he had. So if, if you're at home and something's broken, like our microwave round table doesn't work, I looked in there, a little piece was broken off of it, so I took a, 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 a toothpick, busted it off, stick it where the plastic thing was, put it back down, and it works. I MacGyvered it. I used what I had to make it work. And so we're, we're still ascribing meaning to words that don't necessarily mean anything. MacGyver, what does that have to do with fixing things? It doesn't. Um, so I, I promise you I'm bringing you back to joy. The word joy can be defined in almost infinite ways. It is, it is a small word that people use in so many different ways that uh, it's very important that we use within the context of what scripture says about biblical joy, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Now, of all of the definitions of joy, one thing that is a common thread is that joy is an emotion. It's important for us to understand what emotions are. Emotions are something that are evoked by a stimulus, okay? So a stimulus might be, I insult you, or somebody insults you. That's a stimulus. That's going to evoke an emotional response, usually of anger. Let's say you go home today, and you look in your sock drawer, and you find an envelope with $1,000 in cash that you had no idea was in there. That stimulus of finding that cash is going to evoke a re an emotional response, probably happiness, right? But there are sometimes a stimulus evokes multiple emotional responses. You go to work tomorrow, you find out you don't have a job anymore, and all of a sudden you're feeling fear, you're feeling anger, maybe you're feeling relief. 
confusion. But emotions are evoked by a stimulus. So, if words are defined by their context, what does the context of scripture have to say about joy? Well, again, I go back to Piper, and this is his definition of biblical joy. He says it's a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in his word and in his work. That, that's pretty good. But the question that I have is, is it possible for us to be living in true biblical joy and have the good feeling from the Holy Spirit, but also have bad feelings? Does this definition mean that I have to walk around happy all the time or I'm not walking in the joy of the Lord? I think that is, that's the paradox. That is the tension. That is the struggle. Is it possible for me to have a good feeling from the Holy Spirit and bad feelings and sad feelings? Just want that to sink in for a minute because that is really the crux, I think, of what so, much, so many of us struggle with, is having the joy of the Lord and living lives that are so challenging, all right? So as we look at finding biblical joy, we defined it, now we're gonna find it. Where do we find it? This brings us to our text for today at 1 Peter chapter 1. We've already read through the passage, but as we look at that, we see that in this passage, there are two different aspects of joy, two different aspects of our relationship with Jesus. One is present and one is future. First of all, let's look at the now, the present. It says in verse three that we have been given a new birth a new birth, that which was old has passed away, and now there is something new that wasn't there before. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the old has passed away and the new has come, and what is new is the Spirit of God comes to live within you, and you are a new creature, a creation that did not exist before. We have a new birth, and what does that look like? It says that it is new birth into a living hope. Interesting that we sang that song into a living hope, a certainty for what God has for us in the future that we are living today. The reality of our relationship with God is both now and in the future, and we are living lives of hope. I like in verse 5, <clears throat> it's maybe one of the most encouraging parts of the passage where it says, you are being guarded by God's power through faith. Friends, I want you to be encouraged by that today. You are being guarded by God's power. As God's children, Satan would seek to discourage you and destroy you if he could. He would seek to bring you down every chance that he get, and you are protected by God's power. That's right now. That's not when I die and go to be with God. That is today. What would it be like for you to go into a big city right now and go into a bad neighborhood by yourself at night? 
it'd be pretty scary, wouldn't it? But if you had an armed detail of security around you, you would be able to go wherever you want and not be afraid. You would be in the comfort of knowing that I'm going to be taken care of. I am safe. God's power is guarding you every single day. We do not need to live in fear. If you didn't hear anything else today, hear that. God's power is protecting you, and that's today. Now we get to the part that's not on the face of it as enjoyable or as fun in verse 7. It says at the end of verse 6 that we will suffer various trials in verse 7 so that the proven character of your faith more valuable than gold. See, this is talking about trials. That doesn't seem like such a good thing that I'm going through today, but I tell you what, everybody in this room can identify with trials in this life, can't we? If anything gets an amen, that should get an amen. Everybody in this room is facing or has faced or will face trials. That is a certainty. But what we know, according to the scriptures, is that every trial that we come is doing a work in our lives to make us more like Jesus. It is refining and strengthening our faith to become more and more like him. James says in chapter 1, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whether you experience various trials, because you know the testing of your faith produces endurance, and endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. For the believer, we know and we can expect trials to come. And when they do, there is an aspect of joy, even if the trial is devastating. Somebody died. One of our children walked away from the Lord. My spouse left me. We're not talking about happy things. We're not talking about inconsequential things. We're talking about huge, uh, soul-shaking life events that happen, and they will happen. When the trials of life come, we know that God is going to go through those with us, and that he is going to refine us through the most difficult times to make us more like himself. And that the more trials that we go through, according to James, the stronger that we get. The stronger that we get. And then when the next trial comes, we think, okay, we made it through the last one. God was so good. I know we're going to make it through this one. And again, I'm not pretending that trials are fun or that we want them or that they're easy or that we could just say, oh, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal, okay? There are people that are struggling with mental illness, with addictions, with all kinds of things in life that are just incredibly difficult. They're discouraging and they're not ending. Paul talked about the fact that he had a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what that was, but it didn't go away. But what we do know is that when we go through these trials, even if they're repeated ones, that God is going to use them to strengthen us to be more like himself, refined like the gold is refined. 
that is where we are today, living in our life today. But there's an, also an aspect of the future. And we go back to verse 4. It says that this inheritance is kept in heaven for us. That's pretty comforting to me. I don't have to worry about locking it up. I don't have to worry about somebody stealing something. I don't have to worry about all that stuff. It is kept in heaven for, for us. Think about that. There is an inheritance for you, believer, that God is watching over for you. Do you think your life has value to him? I know Satan wants to tell you it doesn't, right? <coughs> but it does. So much so that he's the one watching over your inheritance. Now, there's a future aspect, too, of our salvation. Our salvation that we're living now, we get to enjoy the indwelling spirit and God with us and his word and all of that. But there is a future aspect of our salvation, and that is going to be incredible. And look down in verse 7. This, this is probably my favorite part. When all of the trials are done and our proven character uh, is, is more valuable than gold, it goes on to say that it may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The, the strengthening, the refining of my faith is going to result in the praise, the glory, and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know what that means? That as you go through this life and you're faithfully walking with him and he is refining and he is strengthening your faith and he is making you more like him and as you are submitted to his will and his authority and his word in your life, at some point, the revelation of Jesus, you're going to stand before God and he's going to say to you, well done. And all of the worship and praise that we give to him during our life, he's going to turn around and he's going to give praise to us. And he's going to say, you did a great job. He's going to give glory to us in this scene that I can't begin to use words to express, but in this scene where God is saying, you did a great job, you deserve glory because what you did we, in response, are saying, no, it's all about you, Lord. You're the one that gave me the strength to do it. And this cosmic love fest between us and God, it is just the most beautiful picture you can imagine to, to receive from God that affirmation and that love and that, that praise for what we have sacrificed and done for him and for us to turn and look to him and say, you sacrifice everything for me. That is a scene that should be first forefront in our mind all the time. That is going to happen. Do you ever think in your mind that I really don't have any idea exactly what it's going to look like when I stand before God? 
know the song, I Can Only Imagine? We can't begin to imagine the magnitude of the glory that is going to be there and the relational love that God is going to show to us when we're there. That is the future aspect that we have to look forward to. So now you're seeing this this magnificent picture of glory. This future that we have, the salvation that we live. But as we said earlier, there is this tension, isn't there? Because we're not there, we're here. We're here and we struggle with sin. And we struggle with our emotions. We struggle with what's going on. And we say, how do I live rightly now? How do I get to where he wants me to be? How do I get through those trials and grow and be refined? There are a couple of things that I think we need to do. First on, we need to work on our spiritual health to be less susceptible to the triggers of life. If you've ever gone through a cardiac evaluation, they do a stress test on you. And they try to get your heart rate elevated so that they can see how quickly it comes back down to a normal pace. A healthy heart it comes back down pretty quickly. I see my medical people, okay. A diseased heart does not. An unhealthy heart does not. One of the diagnostics that we can look at in our life is we're triggered by the emotions of life, the insults, the evoke the emotions. How quickly do we get those back in check? Do they go on for hours, for days, for weeks? What does that look like? That is an indicator for us of what our spiritual health is like. We need to look at those indicators and say, I need to work on my spiritual health. If I go to the heart doctor and he says, you know, your heart is not healthy, you need to start eating better and you need to start walking, then that's what I need to do. For spiritual health, what do we do? Well, these are the things that we've been talking about, isn't it? I mean, the the practices, the, the time in God's word, the time in prayer, time in silence and solitude, taking the pace of our life and pulling it back so that we have time to focus our attention, our hearts really truly on God, spending time with God's people. These are the things that we need to do to help our spiritual health. The second thing that we need to do is to nurture our relationship with Jesus. And there are a few verses that immediately came to mind. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your affection on, set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Seek the things that are above. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. Matthew was talking to some people that had some real serious concern about what was going on. They were anxious about the things of life, about what they were going to wear and how they were going to get food and some very important necessary things to live. And he says to them, seek first the kingdom of God. 
But when those things come into our life, do we focus on those things, on those challenges, and what am I going to do, how am I going to fix it, or do we go to our prayer closet and go, God, I know you already know what tomorrow holds and what next week holds. Help me in my unbelief. Give me wisdom in knowing what to do. And then in in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right uh, right hand of the throne of God. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. That is how we nurture that relationship that we have with him. You know, Jesus knew while he was hanging on the cross that this part of his mission was almost over and he knew what was about to come. We know that this part of God's plan for us is almost over. Life is short and we as believers know what is about to come. For Jesus, when it said that he endured that because of the joy that was set before him, do you know what he's talking about? the restoration of man with him, of you with him. He didn't need anything. When he was a human being, he was still fully God. The one thing that he didn't have was us fully restored to be with him. And so he endured all of that for the joy of bringing us back together with him. That's how much he loves you. Let's quickly go to the the value of biblical joy. There are three beneficiaries of biblical joy. It is God's intended blessing for you. You're the first beneficiary of biblical joy because it is the way God created you to walk in joy and closeness with him through the struggles of life. Secondly, as a witness to others, as you go through the struggles of life and you live it in the joy of the Lord, people look at you and say, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you falling apart? Why aren't you devastated? Why aren't you all of these things. It gives us the opportunity to share. And then thirdly, it brings glory to God. It is what God planned. For us to choose anything other than to live in the joy of the Lord is to disobey God because that is what he wants for us. So this morning, as as we're going through this, you're thinking about the struggles in your life. You're thinking about the things that you've been dealing with, struggling with, worrying about, upset about, concerned about. Maybe the Spirit of God has brought things to your mind. What I want us to do this morning is to know, first and foremost, that the joy of the Lord needs to be the underlying current of our life. And that we... We do that by connecting with Jesus. The troubles of life are always going to be here. It's not an either or. Either I'm experiencing trials or I'm experiencing joy. It is both. We are going to have trials, but God has provided for us the joy of the Lord to be the stability of our life. And when we are in the midst of these trials, we need to connect with him. We need to connect with his joy. When we're feeling anxious, when we're feeling angry, when we're feeling lost, 
where we're feeling distraught, we need to be connecting with him because that amazing scene of our future restoration to be with him is sure. But sometimes we just need a hug from God. So this morning as we close, what I want to do, instead of just doing our normal reflection questions, what I want to do is give a few minutes for you to connect with God. And what that means is going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I know that you are the provider of the joy that I so desperately want. It's not something that I can earn. It is not something that I can gin up. It is a connection with you that provides that joy in my life. It is that connection with you through your spirit that provides for me the stability of the hope that lies within me. And Lord, my life has been going so fast that I haven't been doing that. May this morning be the time, maybe the first in a long time, where you just take a minute and connect with Jesus who has provided you this joy and ask that the Spirit would change your heart and make you uh, desirous of this and may it become the pattern of our lives. So I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes just to pray where you're at and then I'll close this in a minute. pray that your spirit would connect with our spirits this morning. I pray that today would change the trajectory of the way that we interact with you. I pray that in humility you would cause us to desire to spend the quiet time with you. Just opening our hearts and our lives to you crying out to you, confessing to you, Lord, in complete transparency. I pray that there would be nothing blocking the joy of our salvation. I pray that Satan would be defeated in his efforts to discourage us and to distract us from you because he knows that you are the power that we have, that you protect us. But this is a sweet morning. You are an awesome God. And we love you so. I just pray that you would just continue to move in our hearts. 
I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.